Join eMarketer on November 3rd for our next virtual event, Attention, Trends and Predictions for 2024. Our leading analysts and executives from brands like Pepsi, Colgate Palmolive, and Kendra Scott will explore trends like generative AI, retail media, and more to help professionals to plan for the year ahead. Visit insiderintelligence.com slash events slash summit to register today. Hello, listeners. Today is Wednesday, September 27th. Welcome to Behind the Numbers, Reimagining Retail, an eMarketer podcast. This is the show where we talk about how retail collides with every part of our lives. I'm your host, Sarah Levo. Today's episode topic is the digitization of the store. First, let's meet today's guests. Joining me for today's episode, we have senior analyst Zach Stambor. Welcome back, Zach. Thanks for having me, Sarah. Thanks for being here. And also here joining us for the first time on the podcast is newsletter analyst Ariel Fager. Welcome, Ariel. Thank you. Happy to be here. Happy to have you here. Okay, let's get started with free sample. Our Did You Know segment, where I share a fun fact, tidbit, or question. Today, I have a piece of trivia. My question for both of you. What year was the first self-checkout machine installed? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, Great question. 1990. I'm going to say, I'm going to go a little earlier than Zach, and I'm going to say 1985. Ariel, you're off to a good start on the podcast. It's 1986. So right in between, you guys. 1986 in a Kroger near Atlanta. It worked a little different than self-checkout works today. Shoppers scanned and bagged their items, and then they paid at a central cashier station, according to a 1987 article from The Oklahoman that I read. Then Kroger VP Donald F. Dufick said, with today's technology of the automated checkout machine, combined with electric fund transfer and coupon scanning, we can have a completely self-serve front end of the supermarket. I believe we're going to be able to tie all this together this year, and I think that's exciting. So what do you think? Did they succeed? That is some optimism he had this year. (laughs) Yeah. Well, so it turns out that they installed it. They did testing on it for like a few weeks. And according to the two articles I read, which were in the LA Times and the Oklahoman, they were really optimistic immediately. Like people in that Kroger adopted it right away. Like two thirds of people had used it, like a third of people are using it regularly, something like that. So I think people were like ready for self-checkout. It came with a big press push too, right? So like they'd heard about it on the news. They wanted to see it. Right. But this is interesting to me because I didn't exist yet in 1986, but I remember self-checkout like gaining popularity in the 90s and early 2000s. It certainly wasn't like at a point of saturation yet when I was a kid. I would say uh, we can call them pioneers. I definitely think they were on the right track. So I think that's debatable. Is it the right track? Well, I find it frustrating. Well, I think ideally it's on the right track, but you're right. There's a lot left to be desired at Sefchelkat stations. There, It was on a track that proved popular. Something else that they noted in the article was like, if you have an issue, it'll pop up and someone will come over. They really haven't resolved that no. process at all. And therein <laughs> lies my frustration. They, they really haven't <laughs> done any improvement on that. <laughs> I have never not had an issue at self-checkout. Absolutely. Same here. Now it's time for our next segment, Retell Me This, Retell Me That. Where we discuss an interesting retail topic. 
Today's topic is the digitization of the store. So in a few ways, we've come a long way from that self-checkout in the 80s. There are a few major focus areas for bringing brick and mortars digital. Three that I want to focus on today are the omnichannel connections between digital and physical, retail media's in-store opportunities, and experiential and experimental tech that brings people into stores. Let's start looking at omnichannel. Omnichannel communications are the leading priority for U.S. customer experience professionals, according to an April study from SurveyMonkey. Ariel, I know you cover this topic a lot. What is important in a good omnichannel experience? At the most basic, a good omnichannel experience really means that customers are able to switch between online and offline channels in a super easy, seamless way. Because we know customers don't really shop just in store or just online anymore. According to a January survey from Covio, 37% of adults in the US and the UK, they research products on a retailer's website, then go buy them in store. But 36% do the exact opposite. They consider items in store and then go buy them online. So when retailers are thinking about how to build out these channels, both digital and physical, they need to think about them as how they complement each other and how they work together. I think it's such a good point that it needs to be a seamless experience because people don't think in terms of digital. They don't think in terms of in-store. They think they're just shopping at a retailer. They think of the retailer. And so when there's a disparity between the online and the offline experience, it just results in frustration. Yeah. And it also results in going to another store. You know, I think about if I'm trying to buy something off of a retailer's mobile app and it's not working for me, I'm going to go switch. I'm going to go buy it off Amazon. So they really lose a lot of opportunities there if those channels aren't aligned. And people have gotten so accustomed to the endless aisle. Like if something isn't in the store, you assume you can get it online from the retailer. When There's friction there when you can't just have the store associate order it for you and Mm -hmm. you have to go online and you have to figure out what the SKU was. It's just really like a bad experience that's really frustrating for the consumer. Yeah, that stat that you mentioned, some people research online, then buy in store. Some people research in store, then buy online. That's interesting because I definitely fall in between those buckets. And I would guess like most consumers do, right? Like, I see something in the store, I research it online, I might go back to the store to get it. Or like vice versa, I see something online, I look at it in the store, but I might end up buying it online. So like, even within that data, there's not a straight path to purchase, which is obviously something we say a lot. But like, I think that's where tech is so important. Exactly. And that's, I mean, consider social media as well. You know, oftentimes we're not even seeing an item in a store or on their website. We're looking at it on TikTok or we're looking at it on Instagram. So kind of how does that fit into the omni-channel experience? How are retailers kind of able to connect or drive those customers looking at the items online and how are they able to bring them in to the store or to their website? Yeah, if I see a product from an influencer that is a like Sephora product, I'm definitely expecting to be able to go see that product in a Sephora store that day. Exactly. It's actually interesting you mentioned Sephora because I think Sephora is a really good example of the omnichannel experience because you're in the store, but that journey doesn't stop there. You're able to pick up the mobile app and continue to learn and engage with the brand. Sure. Okay. 
Let's keep moving on to retail media, one of my favorite topics, where in-store ad spend in the U.S. is currently at around $240 million. That'll nearly quadruple to $880 million by 2027, according to our forecast. We talked a few weeks ago on the podcast about retail media ad buying and a few weeks before that about retail media marketing moving up the funnel. But now I want to talk specifically about in-store retail media. Zach, we'll start with you. Where is in-store retail media headed? It's basically a, a case where the sky's the limit. There's such a dramatic opportunity ahead because in-stores is where the vast, vast majority of retail transactions take place. And so everywhere within that store experience is an opportunity to present consumers with advertising that can be the TV walls. It can be front of the store kiosks between aisle signage and everywhere else in between. And so there's just such a huge opportunity to finely tune each of those locations within the store to the individual consumer or types of consumers who go to the store. As a consumer, I definitely have a knee-jerk reaction to everywhere in the store is an opportunity to, for advertising. But I'm also not sure that I actually notice that as a consumer. I mean, I do because I'm like paying attention to it now. But I don't know that I really am thinking like, that's an ad, that's an ad, that's an ad. A lot of it is just an evolution of signage in the store. I think that's so true. I very much recoil at advertising popping up where it used to be. Mm. On a Cubs fan, Wrigley Field used to have like no ads. Now it's blanketed with ads. And I don't like it per se, but I'm not not going to Wrigley Field to see the Cubs. And it's the you same. You know where you can go where there are no ads? Michigan Stadium. No ads. <laughs> Coming soon. But I don't think it's going to keep people from going to the store just because there's a lot of advertising there. Yeah. It's not like a website where you can't use it anymore. Like, you can still be in the store. You can still buy your stuff. Although I would like to say that just a few days ago, the Business Insider article came out and some shoppers were posting on TikTok complaining about the cooler screens, kind of basically saying, I have to wait to see an ad before <laughs> I can even open up the screen door. And so I think that is going to present some frustrations for consumers. And if they're noticing it, then that's going to be a big problem. I think retailers need to find ways to incorporate tech into places where consumers are used to seeing it or in places where it's going to really enhance the customer journey throughout the store. Also, those places where you might already be waiting, a deli line, the checkout mm -hmm. line, I mean, as much as I hate suggesting that we fill lines with ads, these are the places where consumers are waiting. Well, and think about smart carts, right? You know, you take a cart and you're pushing it around the entire store. If there's a screen there that's presenting you with ads and discounts, you're kind of really giving that the attention that retailers want you to give it. This is where Omnichannel comes back into play also, because not every store has smart carts yet, carts yep. with screens. Every store has me playing on my phone the whole time I'm in there or checking my phone the whole time I'm in there. So this is where those um, in-app like omni-channel experiences are also valuable. Absolutely. Okay. Finally, let's shift gears and take a look at the cool experiential ways stores are innovating to bring consumers in. 
More than a quarter of the U.S. population currently uses augmented reality in some capacity, according to our forecast. And a lot of that is taking place in stores. How can stores tailor these experiential and experimental tech opportunities to build a more robust customer profile? I have a couple of thoughts on that. I think, you know, when you think about going into a store and what you're there for, most of the time you're not there to walk around and see things. You're there to get an item and get out. So by putting experimental or experiential things in the store, you have to provide value to your customers. And it has to feel authentic. I think we've all kind of experienced retailers that are trying to make the latest technology or the latest trends work. And you're just like, why are you doing this? (laughs) So I think it has to kind of align with what the brand is and who the brand is and not just be kind of innovation for innovation's sake. Yeah, and that's really true. It's not a one-size-fits-all approach. What works for an apparel retailer isn't going to work for a consumer electronics retailer. And then even within those categories, there are differences in terms of a particular retailer's customer base. And so it really comes down to the most basic principle, know your customer and know what your customer is interested in or might be inclined to engage with. Yeah, I mean, there are stores that you go into to browse. An apparel store, like a Nike store, might have AR opportunities. A tech store, like an Apple store, certainly has, I mean, consumer tech, they sell tech, but like there there are demonstrations and stuff there. And then a grocery store, you're not going into to browse, with the exception of some really exciting grocery stores. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's not the place where you expect to see an iPad that you can play around on. And I think, you know, the more collaborative or engaging the tech is, the better. You know, consumers love to feel included in part of what a brand is doing. They love to create and they love to kind of feel a part of a community. And for brands, that's a great opportunity to get even more customer data and learn about what consumers are interested in and what they want to see from the brand. Yeah, definitely agree. That's all we have time for in the first half, so let's keep moving. Now it's time for pop-up rankings, where we take a look at specific examples and we rank them. Today, Zach and Ariel will each discuss one retailer that's a winner in store digitization and one retailer that could use a bit of work. So Zach, let's start with you. Who is your winner for in-store digitization? Walmart. Walmart does so many things well, and I'll focus on just two of them here. One is the app. The Walmart app is really good because it collects so much stuff in one place. So if you get your car serviced at a Walmart auto care center, you can see the portal and see know when you last got your oil changed. It has AR-enabled technology. When you're in a store, it can guide you to where that dish detergent is. It has all your receipts saved. And then beyond that, we were talking about in-store retail media and Walmart's really weeding in this space. They already allow advertisers to buy placements all over the Walmart store. And then they're expanding into other areas like offering radio spots. So Walmart's just doing a lot of stuff to connect the dots, and they're doing it in a way that, to what we were talking about a few moments ago, aligns with their brand. 
Yeah, uh, an app that keeps track of when you need your oil changed is way more useful than a sticker that you think says 8,000 miles, but actually says 3,000 miles. I was just thinking of this because I cannot read what they wrote on the sticker. Never read the sticker. And so I wish I got my car serviced at a Walmart. Yeah. The last time, well, I don't own a car anymore, but I have before found myself pulled over at an O'Reilly's in the Chicagoland area, (laughs) desperate for the specific kind of synthetic oil I need. Okay. Before we get too off topic to talk about my once loved Subaru. Ariel, who is a winner for store digitization on your radar? Uh, I'm going to have to go with Nike. I know that it's no surprise, but I really think Nike has been pushing the boundaries of store digitization for a few years now. And one of those ways is through its Nike Rise store concept. They just opened their first North American location, I think back last year in 2022. And really the whole idea of the store is to tell stories, is to promote the brand, is to also promote the sense of community that Nike has fostered. So in the store, there are LED screens that display real-time sports moments and brand campaigns. There's also a sports hub. Speaking of omni-channel, you know, this is where people can buy online, pick up in store, do digital returns, curbside pickup, and scan to learn more about products. And it also integrates Nike's mobile apps, the training and running apps that it has, and it shows city-specific member data. So it's really an interesting way to kind of be immersed in the Nike brand without it seeming too obtrusive. What is city-specific member data? Like, would my Nike in Brooklyn know me specifically as a Brooklyn runner? I think if you were on the Nike running and training app, yep, I think it would be able to, you know, track your times, track what you're doing, if you allowed it, of course. Really giving myself away as someone who is not on the Nike training app, which (laughs) will not be a surprise to anyone who has ever listened to this podcast. Neither am I, so that's okay. Zach, do you use this app? You're a runner. I am a runner. I do not use the app. All right. Still impressive, though. I mean, definitely think of Nike as a like mover and shaker in digitization. And it's a place that I go into to browse as well as someone who's like more of a casual exerciser, not a regular runner. Okay, let's pivot to our retailers that could use a bit of work in store digitization. Zach, who do you have for this category? I'm going to cheat a bit and go to Susie's favorite retailer, Trader Joe's, which we have talked <laughs> Susie about. Susie hates Trader Joe's. <laughs> we talked about in a previous episode. It's the most analog of retailers. And I think this just speaks to having a brand identity and not everything fits every retailer. And sometimes it makes sense to zig when others are zagging. So you can't get delivery from Trader Joe's. They're never going to offer delivery. They've said that in their podcast, but they still have a very loyal customer base. And in part because they are so different from Kroger. So if in-store media explodes and there are just ads everywhere you look within a Kroger, you can go to Trader Joe's and I'm willing to bet in 10 years, there won't be a million ads there. So Trader Joe's, the most analog of retailers is not going to digitize, digital digitize, 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 digitize anytime soon. But I think that's okay. 
This is a really interesting example because my Trader Joe's is pretty close to my Whole Foods. And in Whole Foods, the line system is largely but not entirely self-checkout. You stand in lines almost like at airport security and a giant screen tells you what cashier to what what checkout to go to, what number when it's ready. And then you do self-checkout and it's really like self-operated. The Trader Joe's that's nearby probably has a lot of the same consumers, like a lot of people buying their produce at Whole Foods and their frozen foods and canned goods at Trader Joe's. And like any Trader Joe's, the line is a person who has an end of the line sign, a person at the front of the line who's telling you what cash register to go to, and then no self-checkout, but a person that you're conversing with at the cash register. And both work. Like Whole Foods approach works where I'm on my Amazon app, I'm self-checkout, I'm doing the whole thing. Trader Joe's approach also works and it's the same consumer. I think that just shows like how powerful brand is where you can make two different approaches work with the same consumer. Yes, that's that's a great example. Yeah, I would bet a lot of Trader Joe's customers would maybe consider reconsider going to Trader Joe's if they started seeing ads and, you know, digital self-checkouts everywhere. I think that's one of the reasons why people go. Yeah, I agree. Okay, Ariel, who is our final retailer who could use some work in digitization? I'm also cheating a little. Love it. <laughs> um, I'm going to go with malls. I think that Malls have an incredible opportunity to bring more customers in because we all know that malls are kind of struggling at the moment to figure out their identity. The 90s are over. People are not just going to the mall to walk around anymore. People are more purpose-driven. They want to pick up curbside. They want to kind of have all of the perks of like a modern retailer. And I think malls can do that. I think it would be really interesting if there was an app, you know, that contained parking information in mall navigation, the ability to make restaurant reservations or buy movie theater tickets, or, you know, in a dream world, connect all of the retailers and be able to maybe find products or reserve products. I think there's a lot of opportunity there, but I do think that's probably a pretty heavy lift on the back end. So I understand why they don't, but malls looking for, you know, a new way to breathe life into them. I think this could be an opportunity. Yeah. The challenge in a lot of these places is there's no cell phone service, like a mall, a Trader Joe's. So they also need to have Wi-Fi. I mean, there's a lot that comes with this. Absolutely. Sometimes we forget the very basics is have Wi-Fi. <laughs> you know, that's really, I would say, you want an omni-channel experience, start with offering Wi-Fi. That's a great note to end on. Although I do want to end with a very important question for both of you. When you guys were kids and you went to the mall to walk around and be a kid unsupervised for a couple hours, what was your mall snack of choice? What a great question. I love a good pretzel. I love a good pretzel. Love a mall pretzel. I definitely love a mall pretzel. There was also uh, an ice cream stand in my mall that I really loved. And so I would get ice cream there as well. Dippin' Dots, the ice cream of the future? It was not Dippin' Dots. It was Pralines. I don't know, Sarah, as a fellow Connecticuter, I don't know if you are familiar with Pralines. but I am familiar with Pralines. Too sweet for me, but I can sign off on it. Yep. Okay. Well, thank you for joining me today, Zach. Yeah, thanks for having me. And thank you, Ariel. Thank you. Please give us a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts and follow us on Instagram at behind the numbers underscore podcast. Thank you, listeners, and to Victoria, who edits the podcast, thereby participating in the digitization of our voices. 
We'll be back next Wednesday with another episode of Reimagining Retail, an eMarketer podcast. And tomorrow, join Marcus for another episode of the Behind the Numbers Daily. Come <laughs> on.